We've been going through the Psalms all summer. This is the last one, Psalm 96. It's not the last Psalm. It's the last one we're doing this summer. Uh, and so next week, we're going to be actually looking at our, our core values, uh, a list of things that uh, are important to us as a, as a church, and, and really um, just take a look at, at what that is. We find that living in a, a college town, uh, this time of year feels more like January 1st than January 1st does, in the sense that there's this fresh start. You start to get this, this excitement of, you know, what kind of uh, what people are you going to meet this semester and, you know, looking forward to what God might do in your life this year. And there's a lot of uh, excitement over that. And so uh, I hope you'll be here next week as we go over these core values and, and really uh, share a vision of how we uh, want to wish to faithfully exist in this city um, and, and express a love for God and express a love for, for others in response to God's amazing love for us. Uh, and so this psalm, Psalm 96 today, that's where we're going to be. So if you've got your Bibles open up there. But Psalm 96 is this perfect setup, and it's a completely unintentional. Uh, but my hope is this, that by, by the end of our ex- expounding and, and working through Psalm 96 today, this beautiful psalm, uh, that we'll have this greater possession, uh, or possess a, a greater sense of how school and how army and how work and how home and sports and whatever weird hobbies you do when you walk out of here, how those things are joyful tools for, for the greater call on your life uh, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's what we're looking for here. So uh, this text, let me give you a little background on it. It helps to understand what's going on. Uh, psalm 96, you'll find almost nearly word for word, it shows up in a larger psalm that's not in the psalms, it's in First Chronicles chapter 16, verses 23 through 33. <clears throat> and what's happening there is the Ark of the Covenant, <clears throat> uh, which is this, symbolizing this presence of, of God, is being brought to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. <clears throat> and, uh, and so uh, it's this huge deal. And David's excited. They're all excited. There's this huge procession of people coming in the Ark as the Ark is traveling. And <clears throat> it's led by choirs. And they're playing instruments, and they're singing, and there's thousands of people, if you can imagine this, uh, hundreds of priests that are all dressed in these white robes. And then you've got King David. This is the moment you probably heard a little bit about here and there, uh, where David just dances with joy at this moment uh, of its coming. Uh, I kind of imagine it like a polyphonic spree concert, if any of you remember who that band was 10 years ago. Uh, Any of you even know who they are? Yes, Ben, thank you. One of you. The rest of you can Google it someday. Uh, so anyway, David wrote this psalm in the context of, uh, of this joy of the ark coming. And so I want you to think of that as, as we're reading this. We're going to read all 13 verses of Psalm 96, uh, and, and then we'll pray. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. 
It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with, inequ with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Before the Lord, for he comes, uh, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. What we read today was written a few thousand years ago by your servant David, uh, who despite so many failures that we know about in his life, yet understood with certainty that there is nothing more worthy of worship in this world or anywhere else than you, God. And so we ask now that you would change us by your word. Give us a vision for your glory, a, a vision to see every tribe and nation and tongue confess that you are Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So <clears throat> you guys are finishing up your, your college. Some of you, some of you are way beyond college. Some of you are still not there. Uh, near the end of my college time uh, at A&M, I knew I was going to go uh, to seminary, and, and a friend named Trey and I decided we were going to go across the country and visit a whole bunch of seminaries and, and figure out where we hoped to attend afterwards. And I'll tell you, I wasn't Presbyterian at the time. Uh, that wasn't my view of a lot of things. I was starting to understand the basics of what we call Reformed faith. Um, and so anyway, while we were visiting this, this seminary in the southeast, we had the opportunity to actually sit down with the president and, and ask him all these questions, and we had this conversation. He was really friendly, um, but really he was, he was one of these people who was very against the idea, ideas that include uh, the sovereignty of God uh, or the word predestination that we're often afraid to use or, or anything that might fall under this term of reformed or, or, or Calvinistic. And, and, and to be honest, I could care less about those terms, could care less about them. Uh, and, and yet the, eyes, the ideas that they communicate, I find, are very important if we're going to understand uh, the grace of God in salvation as, as he has explained it in Scripture to us, as he has revealed it. Um, so anyway, we're, we're meeting with this, this president, and, and just so you can picture this, he has a stuffed giraffe head behind him, over him. It was pretty great. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, we're meeting with him, and he kept telling us uh, that people believing that God brings people to faith, that people come to faith because God gives them faith. If, if that's what we believe, it would absolutely squash any motivation there is for world missions, for evangelism of any sort. Uh, and we're listening to him, and we're trying to be respectful because he's the president, and I'm an idiot, basically. Uh, and, and yet we're, we're trying to explain to him, you know, like, you ever heard of William Carey? Um, you might call him the father of the modern missionary moment. Uh, you know, this was a guy who believed in these things and really pushed the whole missionary movement in the world. And, and we began to list off all sorts of other examples, and he didn't budge one bit. And, and to be honest, we walked out of his office and we're just kind of frustrated. Like, how, how could he think this way? And we find ourselves, we wandered down this hill and, and we wandered into the, to the bookstore. And we're going in there, and we find that uh, this class for world missions, we're looking on the shelf at what the books are, and, and there's one book across the whole thing. It's this little green book by a guy named John Piper, uh, who was a Calvinist. And, and, and we looked at this. The book was Let the Nations Be Glad, and we just kind of laughed because we're thinking, here this guy is telling us that believing in the sovereignty of God would absolutely kill any motivation for missions, and, and yet the author that is being used in this class to try to motivate students towards missions believes in the absolute sovereignty of God. It kind of made us laugh. Um, I wanted to go back, but we couldn't get access to him again. Um, 
And I tell you this, it's kind of a weird story, but I tell you this because the first chapter of that little green book, in it, in it Piper writes this, he says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Continues. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is the ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. And what we see in this Psalm 96, uh, it really drives it even further because we're seeing in this text today before us that worship is not only the goal of missions, uh, <clears throat> but the driving force of missions and any sort of missional living by God's people wherever we are all over the planet. See, what I mean is that our satisfaction in God which is poured out as worship to God, is the very thing that moves us uh, to invite, to call um, others to worship God with us. I think we naturally invite people to participate in the things that we find joy and satisfaction in. We do it with food, we do it with music, we do it with authors, and we see here in Psalm 96, or it's 96 that we're seeing here is that we do it with worship as well. And so I want us to look at this text and look at a few of these, these details here. First, uh, the first three verses, we see um, six imperatives. If you remember, an imperative is just this fancy word for command. I don't know why you would use it. I probably shouldn't. Uh, but it's an imperative. And so, like, <clears throat> an imperative is any command, like, go and make disciples. That's a command in Scripture. Or do not murder. That's a command in Scripture. Or love your neighbor as yourself. These are commands in Scripture. And three times here, we're commanded to sing to the Lord. And we're also commanded here to bless God's name, to declare God's glory, and to tell of his salvation every day. And so when we read here, uh, I want you to understand this. When we read here that we are to sing to the Lord a new song, what this is saying is that we're to proclaim something new that God has done or something that we have newly discovered that God has, has been doing. Um, he's given me hope. That's something you might sing. Uh, he's forgiven me, even though I've messed up so terribly in my life. He's provided me with the friendships that I've prayed for. He's given me joy. He's given me victory over sin or, or faith to obey and, and the joy that comes from that. These are, are new songs that we might proclaim to the Lord as he's given them. And here, David is celebrating the new thing that the Ark of the Covenant has come to Jerusalem and he couldn't be more excited. Um, I mentioned it before. The Ark is this, this beautiful box uh, and, and in it contained the, the pot of manna that was, was given to them in the wilderness uh, and Aaron's rod and, and the tablet that, command, that contained the, the Ten Commandments on it. And so it was this incredibly exciting moment in history for them. Um, it, it, it kind of reflects also in a future thing that we're seeing. In Revelation 5, uh, verses 9 and 10, uh, this is written again from the future, looking backwards, if you can get your head around that. Uh, and, and we read this, and it says that the four living creatures and the 24 elders are said to be singing a new song. And this is what they sing. They say, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. You see, worship is going to be this very public thing. It just is. There's no way around it. I think um, often we think that religion is a, is a private thing in the United States today. We have no problem making that statement. It's just a private thing. We don't talk about that. 
Uh, you can work with people today uh, or go to school with them or, or, or just be involved in people's lives fairly deep and, and, and know them. And, and you could know, you know, that guy is a huge Cubs fan. Poor guy. Um, you can know that they think Arrested Development's the greatest show that's ever been on television and, and yet never know if they even believe that God exists, let alone whether they worship God. And what we see here in verse 3 is, is worship ought not to be private. It says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. See, the nations here that he's speaking about, uh, these were people groups who worshipped Baal and worshipped Dagon and worshipped Ashtoreth and all sorts of idols that they hoped would prosper them. These false idols that they legitimately, you know, with all sincerity actually worshipped. And he's giving this call to the, to the people of God to tell them, to tell them how great God is and to tell them what our God has actually accomplished. I think we ought never to be ashamed of others knowing that our faith is in Christ. Verse 4 then says that our God should be feared above all other nations. Verse 5 explains that this is because the other gods are really idols which are worthless. Well, that sounds like a horrible thing to say about someone else's faith, doesn't it? Um, yeah, that's, that's what it means. I mean, the Hebrew word here for idol literally means a nothing. A nothing. And, and so we're called to call the world to worship the only true God instead of worshiping a nothing. Um, verse then, 6 then speaks of God's beauty. It says, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. See, today we see God with faith, but we, we can't even properly imagine what it will be like when we look on God with clear eyes and see him completely. That's splendor. That's majesty. So I want to move to the next section. We'll come back to that majesty here in a bit. But, you know, we, we, we saw this a little in the first section. Now in verses 7 through 10, it becomes much more explicit that we're not only to worship God, but we're to call others, to invite others, to summons others, all people everywhere to worship God as well. Verse 7 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. See, these, these families of the people here, uh, that's a reference to the people that he just mentioned as worshiping idols, worshiping nothings. And verse 8 makes clear that, that here that, that God is the one who's deserving of this glory. It says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Uh, it's kind of interesting, that phrase, bring an offering to God. Uh, honestly, that's why we have an offering in the worship service. Personally, uh, just me personally, I, I'd prefer we had a box in the back. And, and my reason is because I, I don't want it to feel like an offering is a pushy thing or, or as if collecting money was some big motivation for why the church exists or why we have a worship service. Um, but the reason we have this in the service is that giving an offering to God in that way is a way that we glorify him. It's an act of worship. We acknowledge really that all that we have, we have because God has, has given it to us. Really, more accurately, all that we have um, we might say that, that he's made us stewards over it, that it all belongs to him. And so it's an act of worship to give to God so that, uh, so we do that. That's why it's a portion of our worship service. There's an intentional reason for that. Uh, and for the record, just so you know, I have no idea what any of you give. 
no clue. I have no access to that information. It's completely intentional. Uh, we keep records. You will get your tax thingy, whatever it's called, at the end of the year. Um, but I don't know what it is, and, and that's intentional. I don't ever want to make any decisions based on, on that information. Um, so anyway, verse 9. Uh, we see another imperative. Remember, it's a command. It says, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. You can't even properly translate that. I mean, I can't tell you even, you know, it's, it's like when you, because there's nothing, nothing that compares to the splendor of God's holiness. It's kind of like when people try to explain to you, you know that feeling when you're gazing out at the Grand Canyon? No, I don't. I, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I can't make sense out of it. Or, or people, when they tell me about standing at the bottom of Niagara Falls and looking up to it, I, I've seen the pictures. I can't make sense out of it. Uh, or, or astronauts talking about being in space and looking down on planet Earth, just the splendor and the majesty of such a view. And I think, I've seen the pictures, they're really cool, but I don't understand what you're feeling here. I can't make sense out of it. You, you just can't explain it. That's the splendor of God's holiness. I mean, the only thing I can think of at all is, is that picture of Isaiah in Isaiah 6 when he, when he finds himself standing before the Lord and the Lord is sitting on his throne and the words out of Isaiah's mouth, Woe is me. Woe is me. Because he realizes in that moment what holiness, the holiness of God actually means. And he becomes vividly aware that God is holy, but he is not. That's, that's the Lord that we have been given grace and mercy to worship in spirit and truth. And I won't even begin to really say I can explain it. Except for the day will come and we will actually experience this. In verse 9 of our text, the call is for all people everywhere to bow before the Lord, uh, to express uh, glory towards God because it belongs to God alone. See, the imperative in verse 10, they're all over this, is what we are to say, what we are to communicate. It reads, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. And so we are to say among the nations, among those who simply don't believe, we are to say that the Lord reigns. That he's all powerful, that he's in charge, that it's his. Uh, there is a, a call on our lives then to invite others to worship with us. Um, I was in Starbucks last week and, and there was this girl with a laptop and on the back of the laptop was this green sticker, bumper sticker that read every tribe, every tongue, every nation or bust. And I saw it. I thought this girl has a vision for life or she borrowed a computer from someone who has a vision for life, <laughs> something like that. Uh, and, and I just, I think we want to like shy away from people and talking about the gospel. It's almost like we're so afraid of being that sales guy that we won't even start the conversation. Um, you know, we, we tend to function as though we believe that the God we worship is just one of many options. That, that maybe it fits you, and that's great, but maybe it doesn't. Um, don't do that. Don't do that because there's only one way by which we will be forgiven of our sin, by which they will be forgiven of our sin. And there's only one Savior who sets captives free to live in the joy of salvation, and that person is Jesus Christ. That's it. 
And so now, if, if I'm honest about this text, I kind of wish it ended right there. You know, um, let's glorify God, let's invite others to worship God, and let's just, let's just end it right there. But, but, but really, the reason I say that is because the last portion, verses 11 through 13, talk about the judgment of God. And, and if, if anything's more awkward to discuss, it's the judgment of God. Uh, let me read it for you. It says, Let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar, and all, all that fills it. Let the field exalt, and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. I think what I find most interesting about this portion is the way that the author looks at judgment. I mean, did you catch that? He's talking about it joyfully. Let the earth rejoice because God is coming to judge the world. I don't really have categories for that. I mean, we tend to look at the coming judgment of God and kind of hate that it's going to happen. You know, it's just one of those things that's going to happen, and we're not excited about it. You know, really, I'm just thankful that because of Jesus, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to be spared of that. That's about as far as we want to think about that. And so I think it, it helps if we can view judgment within the view of this, this culture that helps us understand that this, this culture that they lived in, um, proper judgment was really hard to come by. For the poor, for the oppressed, for the less prestigious in society, uh, getting a fair and proper uh, judgment was rare. It was rare because judges were bribed. Corruption and injustice were fairly common. And most of us really can't understand this because we exist in a very privileged nation. And most of us are part of a very privileged segment of that nation. I don't say that so you feel guilty. You didn't choose that. But that's the reality of, of where we exist. Uh, try to relate to this. Try to understand it uh, so that you might imagine what it might feel like if you were afraid in your life that you'd be held accountable for crimes you didn't commit. All the while, while those who did commit them are set free. I mean, if you can get your head around that, uh, you really begin to understand why, why looking forward to God who will judge righteously and properly and just, with justice, why that's an exciting thing for these people to look forward to. Yes, let's see, let's see right judgment. And so, yes, in your, if your faith is in Christ, then find joy in the truth that you'll be innocent of the judgment on the simple basis of Jesus having already paid for your punishment. But also look forward to a time when the judgment that God gives will be righteous. And what more can we ask for than righteous judgment? Okay, so that brings us to the end, but I, I want to widen the angle just a little bit and look at this. Um, because what we see here is that salvation, uh, the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ in the gospel is, is not just for the nation of Israel. It's not just for your ethnic group. It's not just for any ethnic group. It's for every ethnic group, for every people. And that speaks to our purpose. Um, so yeah, we, we see in this psalm really the why of our existence. Uh, in the affirmation of faith, as Travis was leaving, uh, leading us, you weren't leaving us, were you? Uh, leading us today, we read that first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and, and that question is asking this, what is the chief end of man? That's not exactly the way we speak today. No one uses the word chief. Um, but this word chief, chief end, that's talking about our, our purpose, why we exist. You know, why did, why did God make you? Why do you exist at all? These deep 
questions of, of, of life. And, and the answer he gives is, is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I'll ask you, I mean, do you really know that? I mean, do you really know that at the deeper level? I'll, I'll tell you, I don't exist to be a pastor. That is not my purpose on planet Earth. That, that's just the means by which I, I get to serve my purpose, which is to glorify God and enjoy Him. You don't exist to be a, a professor. You don't exist to be a mother or a soldier or a social worker uh, or a student or any other term that might label you, uh, that you want to label you as some sort of identifier. See, God might have gifted you for those things, and that's wonderful. He may have given you a great sense of joy in those things. He might provide for you financially through those things, but that's not why he made you. And so don't ever lose sight of this, that the purpose for which God has made you is simply for his glory. That you ascribe him glory, that you proclaim his glory among the nations, that uh, with great joy, in fact, all founded in all that God is for you. And that means we're to give God glory with our, with our voice, with our affections, with the way that we submit to his word or seek to do so. It also means that we call others to bow before the creator of the universe and worship him as well. Why? Why do that? I think first, because God deserves it. I mean, simple as that. God absolutely deserves it. And second, there is judgment coming. This is where you start to sound like, you know, fire and brimstone, but that's what we see in the text. There's no denying it. There's judgment coming that will find them like you and like me deserving of the wrath of God. And being covered by the blood of Christ is their only hope, just like it's your only hope, just like it's my only hope. And, and, and we've got to know this. It is a sure and certain hope. In a sense, we, we see here a, a shadow of the two great commandments which Jesus later gives. The first commandment to, to love God, Right? When we worship God, we, we express our love for God. And, and the second commandment, uh, to love your neighbor as yourself. When we, when we call people to put their faith in Christ, because there's, there's nothing more loving than that. There, there's nothing more loving than to show others where we have found forgiveness, the same forgiveness that they need. And so what does this mean for you? And, I, and I'm going to say this because I, I think it's easy for us to think, to, to hear these kind of sermons and read these texts and start to think, okay, I should quit school, I should quit my job, and I should go be a missionary, right? I, that's how I tend to hear these things at times. In fact, I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with someone where I'm excited because God's really growing a passion for them in their life. And, and so often the, the response is, well, then I'm going to go to seminary and be a pastor. And I think, no. Stay where you are. You know what we need are, are faithful Christians out in the world in these, in these places of work, in these places in society who are just faithful believers. That's, that's how this gets done. Um, and that's not what we're seeing in this text here. It's a, it's a simple call to worship God, to proclaim his greatness privately and publicly. It's a simple call to invite others to join you in worship. It's a simple reminder that life is short and, and God's righteous judgment is coming. And, that, and the response to that, to that righteous judgment coming, is not try harder. It's not do better. It's trust in Jesus. And, and so now in this life, now is the time to invite others to the joy of salvation that is yours in Christ. 
Um, don't worry about producing faith in others. You can't do that. But you can be faithful to worship God and you can be faithful to proclaim uh, to the world the joy of doing so. Uh, also, understand this. I'm, I'm not asking you to go out and change the world today. I'm not even asking you to knock on doors and ask weird questions to people. I'm not. If you want to do that, that's great, but that's not, not what I'm asking you to do. I'm, I'm asking you to the best of your ability to faithfully follow God. I'm asking you to, to sing God's praises today and all week long because really you can't invite the nations to join you in singing if you're not singing yourself. Let me give you a few simple ways to put this into practice, then we'll finish up. Uh, you know that, that moment when someone asks you, you know, what are you doing tonight? And, and you're thinking, you know, I'm, I'm going to a small group, or I'm going to a book study, or I'm going to RUF, or crew, or, or, or maybe here to worship, whatever you're doing, and you just kind of think, uh, I've got plans with friends, see you later. Uh, you kind of want to give that generic response, you're almost afraid to even open this up to, to reveal anything about yourself. I mean, this is as simple as it gets, but just tell them where you're going. I'm, I'm going to worship the Lord. Uh, for some, that's a difficult thing to say. Start there. Uh, I'm going to, to whatever it is. You want to come with me? Small things, you know, sustainable things, slow, lasting impact things, simple faithfulness. You know, don't be afraid to, to tell your neighbors that you'll pray for them because, because you believe that God does reign, that he can answer these prayers. And then ask them later, how's it going? What's happened with this? I've been praying for you. Children, I know you sit in here. Sometimes you zone me out. I do the same with that as your age. Let me remind you of this. You are not too young to worship God. Uh, you're part of this covenant community. Sing, learn the songs, do it well. Um, I, I know that my preaching can get boring to you at times. So it's hard to focus on. Uh, let me encourage you, young children, draw pictures if your parents will let you. Uh, one of the things I love is, is every once in a while I get to see these images of uh, children have drawn sermon notes, and I love to see them because I can almost see where they came from the sermon. And, and so you listen and you practice listening to the sermon. If you hear something, write it down. And, and afterwards, bring it up to me. I'd love to see your notes that you've taken. Uh, if you leave, you forget to do it, have your parents post it to our Facebook page uh, or anywhere, whatever. I'd love to see that. Um, college students, do well in class. You, you've come here for an education. You're paying a lot of money for that. Uh, do well in class. Make that a priority. But also in, enjoy this, these years of college. Enjoy the stupid things you do. Uh, duct taking, taping a friend to a pole or, or, or riding on someone's forehead when they fall asleep. Whatever it might be. Um, but also don't be afraid to speak of God. To ask questions of people. What they think about God and, and Christianity. These, the people are more open at this stage in life than just about any other time. Ask away. Uh, be ready to show compassion. To offer the, the same hope that you have. To them, that's all you need to know. Do you know how your faith is in Christ? Then you know enough to talk to someone about the gospel. Um, those of you who go to work every day, uh, let your trust in God lead you to work honestly, to, to encourage your co-workers, to, to take time in your day to actually pray for them. Parents, speak about the greatness of God. Uh, teach them to sing to the Lord. Show them in science. Show them in every other area the mighty works of God that we see in the world. Uh, and one more thing, and then we're done, I promise. Uh, I think that the transition that we've got to make here, um, that we've, we've got to make in our understanding, that we've got to make in our, our attitude about spreading the gospel to people who need to hear it, is that it's not something that we have to do. 
It's a difficult transition, but it's an important one. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. See, we get to bring good news. Sharing the gospel is less like the guy selling Amway, knocking on your door, and more like the Girl Scout who's delivering cookies that someone else already paid for. That's the person you want to hear from. Or, or let me put it this way, when each of the world wars ended, it, it took a while for that good news to get to these smaller towns and these smaller places. And, and it was slowly delivered by people to these towns over the world. And it was, it was not a burden to deliver that news. It was an absolute joy to say, stop fighting. Stop with the fear. Uh, there is now peace. And really, that's the message that we are bringing. Stop striving. Let go of your fear. And there is peace with God through Christ. You're bringing good news that lifts people. Um, so if you've got your Bibles open, you can go ahead and close it. I just wanted you to listen. I'm going to read you one verse. It comes from Isaiah 52, 7. Uh, and, and as I read you this verse, um, it's just going to be our closing. Just, just listen to this. It says, it's along the lines of delivering good news. It says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. And our God does reign. Let's pray. God, these words were written with the hope that the nations of the earth would bow and worship to you, God. And this room this afternoon filled with worshipers is proof that the hope of David has come true in many regards, as so many in here are outside of Israel, and yet they worship you and call on your name because your people have been faithful throughout the centuries to call us to worship. And yet, God, we understand that this mission is still in progress. There are men and women at Fort Riley and on the campus of K-State and among the city of Manhattan who we long to see you set free from slavery to sin so that they too might worship you with all their being. And so, Lord, give us hearts today that long to see lips which today might curse you and hearts that are apathetic towards you spring to life so that these same lips might declare your glory and these same hearts sing a new song of deliverance to you. We pray this in the name of the one who is good news, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.